I'm glad you guys are here. My name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge Middle School. You guys can slip out with Jeremy if you want. Excellent. One, uh, one announcement. If you read our newsletter, you already know this. If you don't, shame on you. We're hiring a new position. It's a church administrator, so they're really in charge of four major areas, IT, HR, finances, and facilities. It's a big job. So the thing I'm asking for really is prayer. We've never hired a position like this that was so organizational or operational in nature, and I feel like it's important. We've, we've grown to the size where we need somebody who can focus on those areas of the church. We're really looking for someone who has a mind to think that way, but has a heart for ministry. And so that's a pretty unique person. And so we're asking the Lord to bring that person to us and bring us to that person and kind of make everything work. We know there'll be people who apply, honestly, who won't. Uh, if more than one person applies, then somebody's going to be told no. And uh, but we still believe the Lord can use that. He can use just the, the process of somebody thinking about it, praying about it, taking a risk and filling out an application to direct and to redirect someone in their career as well. So we really want the whole thing, just the, the Lord to work, for the Lord to work uh, through everybody who's feeling any sense of leading towards applying and then, again, helping us discern who that person is that he's called to this position for this time. So if it's you... You can reach out to Kim, Kim at StonebridgeMarietta.org. If, you want to, uh, if there's somebody you know who you think would be a good fit, you can pass on the information to them, and Kim will reach out to them. So big thing, keep praying, or begin to pray for us about that, and we'll just keep you posted as we go. Okay, Isaiah 9. That's what we'll be. We're going to jump several places today. Uh, we're going to look at this idea of Jesus as the light of the world. It's third week of Advent. We've been looking at uh, Old Testament prophecies, and what do they say about the Messiah? And we've been looking at them through the lens of Jesus. We've been looking at them in, through, with the benefit of hindsight. We've looked at Jesus as a Prince of Peace, Jesus as the Son of David today, Jesus as the light of the world. Last week when we did Son of David, the dynamics were interesting. It was something that was really important in the Old Testament. So if you, had a, if you were a, a Jew in the Old Testament, you had a checklist for Messiah, Son of David would have been a really big box that you'd want to check. Really important. Someone from the line of David, someone who'd be a king. But when Jesus began uh, his ministry, he didn't talk a ton about the son of David. It was mentioned very infrequently three times in the gospel. Somebody refers to him as the son of David. He absolutely was. He was from the line of David and he was a king, but it just wasn't that important. It was a small box for him. And today we're going to, the dynamic is the inverse. Light of the world is a pretty small box in the Old Testament. There's only two direct references to the Messiah as the light of the world that I found. But it was very important to Jesus. It was a big box for him. It was a very important to his understanding of who he was and what he was doing. So the two Old Testament references, one, Isaiah 9, a familiar Christmas passage for us. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, the work of the Messiah is described as light coming, light dawning. So you can see there on that map, the, 
the two areas that are circled in red, that's Zebulun and Naphtali. Those were two of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're in the north of Israel. The Assyrians, they invaded from the north, so those two tribes kind of got it first. They were two of the first ones to be overrun by the Assyrians. So by the time Isaiah writes, they're no longer free people. The Assyrians have taken over their land, and they are living, the Jews in Zebulun and Naphtali in that region, they're living as subjects to the Assyrian king. In their mind, they would say, we're, we're living in darkness. We have this pagan king who is now the ruler over us. We're living in darkness. And when they hear those great descriptions in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 that we love so much, the Messiah will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. When they hear that, they're, they're saying, yeah, he's going to come and he's going to bring the light. He's going to deliver us from the darkness of this foreign rule. He's going to set us free. That's what they're thinking. So that's one direct verse, Old Testament, the Messiah's work described as light dawning or light coming into a dark situation. Isaiah 49, the Messiah is described as the light of the world. This is what the Father says about the Messiah, Isaiah 49, verse 6. God says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that, you're, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So the father's talking to the servant, and in Isaiah, the servant is the Messiah. And he's saying, it's not a big enough job for you to just be a light to the Jews. That's not enough. Too small for you. So I'm going to make you a light to the Gentiles too which makes him a light to the world. Everybody's either a Jew or Gentile. I'm going to make you a light to all the world. So the Messiah, his work can be described as light dawning or light coming to a dark situation. And he himself can be described as the light of the world. And Jesus fulfills both of those Old Testament prophecies. In Matthew 4, when Jesus is just beginning his ministry, Matthew describes it explicitly quoting Isaiah. When Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are areas we just heard about. He did this in order to fulfill what was written through the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is near. Matthew understood Jesus' ministry as a direct fulfillment of that prophecy in Isaiah. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, Jesus was the one through whom this light was dawning, through whom this light was coming. What does that look like? Jesus, we've said before, he wasn't a military leader, he wasn't a political leader. In what sense did his ministry fulfill Isaiah 9? Again, he did, like with everything with, we've seen with Jesus over these past several weeks, he fulfills, but he doesn't, he doesn't fulfill the expectations that people have for him. He does fulfill um, the word of the Lord, though. And so there's this idea, Jesus as the bringing light, his ministry being light. What, what darkness is he pushing back? What oppression is he lifting? Jesus' ministry can be summarized the way Matthew just did. Repent, that's what he says to us. That's our responsibility, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven 
is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Everything that Jesus says and does, you can put under that umbrella. The kingdom of God is at heaven, or the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is God's rule and his reign. It's his will being done in a particular place. So imagine a battle. You have a kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. You have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And there's, there's a war going on, and they're fighting over us. They're fighting over our hearts. They're fighting over our minds. They're fighting over our bodies. They're fighting over the territory. They're fighting for us. When Jesus comes and says the kingdom of God is near, the rule and reign of God is near, what he's announcing is the will of God is about to start being done on earth as it is in heaven to a degree, not fully. The rule and reign of God is going to begin to advance, not fully, but a foretaste. And then he begins to demonstrate what that looks like. Most of his miracles you can put under the, under the rubric of the kingdom coming. When Jesus heals someone who's sick, what he's demonstrating is the kingdom of God is coming to this person's body. Sickness is a result of sin and the fall. It's not a result of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus heals sick people to say, see, the kingdom is coming. When Jesus drives a demon from someone, all of those exorcisms that you read about in Matthew and Mark and Luke, he's showing, hey, I'm stronger than the devil. The devil has authority in this person's life. And when I cast a demon out of that person, I'm showing that I'm stronger than the devil. My kingdom is coming to their life. When Jesus raises someone from the dead, same thing. Death is a chief enemy that we all face. And when Jesus raises someone from the dead, Lazarus, when he raises uh, the, the, little, the, the boy whose who's mother and, and the town of Nain, when he's raising those people from the dead, he's demonstrating, I'm stronger than death. My kingdom of life is advancing and is even rescuing people from death. Unheard of. The miracles that Jesus performs are signs that point to the reality that the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, is advancing and is actively pushing back the kingdom of darkness. We don't necessarily think of light as a kind of a battle metaphor, but in the New Testament it is. The light has come and the darkness has not. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There's this idea of Jesus' kingdom pushing back the kingdom of the devil. His ministry is light dawning in a dark situation. Jesus also is the light of the world. He just says so. John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. Can't get much clearer than that. Anyone who follows me will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What does Jesus mean when he says he's the light of the world? You probably don't remember this. When we looked at the Gospel of John, I think it was in 2019, we said the miracles in John are all called signs, and signs point to a reality that is greater than themselves. They point, they point beyond themselves to a greater truth. So in, in, Matthew, excuse me, in John 8, Jesus says he's the light of the world. Then he says the same thing again in John 9. And then he heals somebody who's blind. And the healing of that man is a sign. It's, it's, it's an unpacking of what Jesus means when he says he's the light of the world. We don't have time to read the story. I would encourage you to read it this week. It's a great story. It's a great picture of what Jesus wants to do in all of our hearts. Just a brief summary. So Jesus and the 12 come upon a man who was born blind. And Jesus bends down and spits into the dirt and makes mud. And then he puts it on this guy's eyes, which is gross. And he says to him, 
go wash off the mud, which I'm sure the guy was thinking, absolutely, I would love to go and wash this mud off my eyes. So he goes to the pool of Siloam and he washes his eyes and he can see. And he goes home and his neighbors obviously are, there's kind of an uproar. What happened? Who did this to you? And the guy says, the man they call Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, he, he spit, he made mud, he put it on my eyes and he told me to go wash in this pool of Siloam and I could see. And they don't know what to do with him, so they take him to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And the Pharisees don't know what to do with him either. They say, what happened? And he tells them the story. This is what Jesus told me to do. And they say, what do you think about Jesus? And he said, I think he's a prophet. And the Pharisees are divided because Jesus, this is obviously a miracle. This guy could see, but Jesus broke the Sabbath rules that they had created. When Jesus made mud, that was considered work. One of the things you weren't allowed to do on Saturday, on the Sabbath, was knead, K-N-E-A-D. You couldn't do that. And when Jesus spit into the dirt and then worked that into mud, that was considered kneading. So they're saying, well, he broke this rule, so he's not from God. And others are saying, this guy was blind this morning, and now he can see. And so they're divided about Jesus. So they bring his parents in, the blind guy's parents in, and they say, what do y'all think? And they're scared. They're intimidated by the religious leaders. And so they say, listen, this is all we know. He's our son, and he was born blind. Anything else you want to know, you got to ask him. He's old enough. So they bring the guy back in, swear to tell the truth. Yes. What happened to you? And he says, I've already told you. He's exasperated. Do you guys want to follow Jesus too? And they get angry. No, we don't follow Jesus. We only follow Moses. We don't even know where this guy's from. And the blind guy says, well, that's astonishing. You don't know where he's from. And yet I was blind and now I see. We know God doesn't listen to sinners. No one's ever heard of somebody born blind being able to see. This guy couldn't do it if he wasn't from God. Then they get all upset and they kick him out of the synagogue, tell him he was steeped in sin from birth and that was the reason he was blind. So he's been kicked out of the synagogue and Jesus circles back and this is what he says. Jesus heard that they had thrown this guy out and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so I may believe in him. Jesus says, you've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. That's what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. The most basic function of a light, it allows us to see. Jesus enables us to see. The opening of this guy's eyes is just a physical representation of the spiritual work that Jesus longs to do in all of our hearts. Enable us to see, and to see what? To see him for who he really is. Jesus being the light of the world means Jesus enables people to see himself, to see him as the Messiah. That's what he does. A couple of things I want you thinking about this week. One, many of you love somebody who has not yet seen that Jesus is the Messiah for them. There may be some of you in this room, and this can land on you as well. You love somebody, and they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I want to encourage you with a couple of things. One, recognize that the opening of their eyes is a spiritual, it's a spiritual battle. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says the enemy of, or the God of this age, that's the devil, he's blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of Jesus in the gospel. Their minds have been blinded by the devil. And so what we want to pray is for God to open the eyes of their heart. 
That's a spiritual work. The most important thing we can do is pray. We want to, it's, yes, we want to share. Yes, we want to serve. Yes, we want to love. Underneath all of that is prayer. Asking God, open the eyes of their heart. Jesus, you're the light of the world. Will you enable this one that I love to see the reality that you're the Messiah, that you're the Son of God, that you're the Savior, that you're the answer to their greatest need? Will you enable them to see that? Second thing, sight, it's a gradual process. Think about like when you wake up in the morning or when you walk out of the movie theater, it takes a while for your eyes to adjust. That's what, that's what we see in John 9. It takes a while for this guy to really get who Jesus is. The first time he describes Jesus, he says, the man they call Jesus from Nazareth. He's just a guy, Ben, who lives down the street. And then he's a prophet. And then he's, well, if, it, if he wasn't from God, he couldn't do this. And then last time, he's worshiping Jesus as the Messiah. Son of man is another word for the, another term for the Messiah. He goes from Jesus, the, the man they call Jesus who's from Nazareth, to worshiping him as the Messiah. But it's a gradual process. I hope that encourages you as well as you continue to love and to pray for those that you love who have not yet decided to follow Jesus. Recognize it. It can take time. There's, there's a process involved. Very rarely is there an instantaneous sense of uh, kind of that light bulb aha moment. There's almost always foundation that's been laid over a period of time. We may not recognize all of that, but retrospectively, most of us, even our own life, would say, yeah, there was a process. I can remember the moment, but if I'm honest, there was a process that led up to that. So I hope that encourages you. Just continue to pray. Many of you are going to be with these people over the next couple of weeks. You're going to be sharing a meal with them, exchanging presents with them, whatever it is that you do for Christmas. Be praying. And I would say just pray really intentionally between now and Christmas, the next 12 days. God, open the eyes of their heart. I pray that for Christmas, what they would recognize is the gift that you've given them in Jesus and their need for him in their life. So I hope that encourages you. The second thing I would say, Jesus as the light of the world, that's, it's not a one-time encounter for us. It's not a, a one decision. I recognize Jesus is the Messiah. Check the box. I'm done. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, the, I'm the light of the world, those who follow me. To follow implies continuous action. It's an ongoing choice that we make. Those are the ones who, will know, who won't walk in darkness and will experience the light of life. In the Old Testament, during the, the period of the wilderness, those 40 years where the Hebrews were in the wilderness, God led them visibly. He was a cloud. He was either a cloud of, he was a cloud during the day or he was a pillar of fire at night. That was his, his presence was represented by this cloud. In the day, it looked like a cloud, and at night, it looked like fire. And they would just, the, the Hebrews would just follow this cloud around. They had this, uh, it, was, it was a tent, it was called the tabernacle, and that's where God was said to live. And so they would, they would erect the tabernacle just like you do when you go camping and you pitch your tent, that's what they would do, and the cloud would rest on top of it. And then the cloud would move, and they'd break the tent down, and they'd follow the cloud. And when it stopped, then they'd erect the tent again. They'd have it for 40 years, and sometimes they were in a place just for a day, and sometimes they were in a place for a year. It did, for the, all they did was they, they just tracked with the cloud. They were tracking with the presence of God, and wherever he went, they went. I think about that for us. I don't know if you've ever really thought about the fact that Jesus is smarter than you. That's not, well, we don't talk about him that way. 
We would say, he's better than us. We would all say that. He's more moral than us. He's more spiritual than us. He loves better than us. He's more patient than us. He's all of those things. But do you know that he's smarter than you too? That's not something that we really talk about. I can remember I was in college and I took this class and it was ridiculous. I don't even, I don't, I'd had hard professors before. I had professors that didn't speak English well before. But I got into this class and it was geometry, which you know, like geometry in high school, it's on a flat piece of paper. There's like the two, the X and the Y. This was geometry on a sphere. And I had, there were all these other letters. There's X and Y and Z and U and W. And I was thinking, I was, I, what, I didn't understand why we were doing it. I was like, is this even real? Is this just theoretical? And for the first time in my life, I was 20, I was thinking, I, this, uh-uh. I don't understand what they're saying. I understand the words, and I'm seeing the stuff here on my paper, but it is not like it isn't happening in here. I'm going to fail. And so in my, not in my great maturity in the Lord, but in desperation for keeping the Hope Scholarship, I said, Jesus, I need help. I don't understand this. I still had to study. I still had to work. I didn't fail. I kept the hope. Yay me and mom and dad. They were the happiest of all. But it changed things for me and it fits and starts. But I realized, again, out of desperation, Jesus knows geometry better than me. And he knows finance better than me. And he knows engineering better than me. He knows how to build a house better than me. He knows how to be a dad better than I do. He knows how to be a husband better than I do. He knows how to run an organization better than me. There's nothing that I do that he doesn't know better than me. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. What do you do Monday to Friday, 7 to 5, 9 to 6, whatever your hours are? Do you realize Jesus is better at that than you are? He knows more. He's smarter than you, and he's smarter than me. What does it look like for me to follow that pillar When it comes to that daily stuff of my life, do I ever ask him? Do I ever yield and say, Jesus, you know how to do this better than I do? Which doesn't mean that I don't have to study or I don't have to prepare or I don't have to try. But it's absolutely an acknowledgement that I have access to someone who's smarter than I am. So why in the world would I not ask him for direction? He's not just smarter, he's wiser. Wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. Wisdom is knowledge applied. It's knowing what to do in a particular situation. He's wiser than we are too. You got a naughty problem. Jesus can help you figure it out. He can lead you through it. Doesn't matter if to you it feels spiritual. Like Jesus doesn't just have this one piece of the pie that he's really good at. You ask him when you got a question about morality or ethics and then everything else, you just kind of figure out on your own. He's smarter in every area. And he's wiser in every area. And what would it look like for you to acknowledge that on a daily basis? Before you do whatever it is that you do, what if you said, Jesus, I acknowledge you're better at putting numbers in a computer than I am. You're better at closing a deal than I am. You're better at planting a plant than I am. Whatever it is that you do for a living, you're better at it than me. You're smarter than I am. And so I want to yield to you in this area of my life. It's just an area that we don't often give to him. 
We don't see Jesus as an expert in whatever our field is. But he is. He's an expert in every field. Whether your work is paid or unpaid, whether you stay home or you work in an office, he's an expert. And I want to encourage you as you close your professional year out. Acknowledge he's smarter and he's wiser. And the great thing about him is he's more than willing to share what he knows with you. He is more than willing to share what he knows if we'll just ask. A couple of things as we close. One, I want to give you a chance to pray for those of you, like you, when I talked about people who you love that don't know the Lord, you had faces that popped into your mind immediately. I want to give you some space to pray for them really intentionally this morning. So as Bo and Michelle come back up and lead us in worship, you may just want to do that. You may just want to ask the Lord, open the eyes of their heart. And there may even be a part of you that needs to maybe relax a little bit. Maybe you've been trying to open the eyes of their heart, and you just need to say, God, I recognize, Jesus, that, that's your responsibility and not mine. So you want to pray about that. And the second thing we want to pray about is we want to recognize that this, the, the ministry of the light overtaking the darkness of the kingdom of light, pushing back the kingdom of darkness, that's still happening. That wasn't just for three years, 2,000 years ago. Jesus is still doing that work. And so we want to invite him to do that. So if you're sick this morning, we want to pray for Jesus to heal you. We want to pray for the kingdom of God to come into your body, for God to rule and reign in your body. Whether that sickness is something chronic that you've been dealing with for years or it's something that's more acute that's come on recently, we want to ask God to heal your body as an expression of the reality that the kingdom of God is near. We, rec- we know God doesn't heal everybody uh, for sure, but we also know God heals more people if we pray than if we don't. And so we want to pray for you. We also want to pray for deliverance. So if you're the three that I thought of, if you feel ensnared or entrapped by anxiety or depression or nightmares, we want to pray for God to set you free. We want to pray for you to experience the kingdom of God in your mind and in your heart. We want, you to, we, we want to pray for you to experience the freedom uh, in the king, that, that the kingdom uh, of God brings, him ruling and reigning in your heart and in your mind. So if you're sick, we want to pray for you. If you would say, I feel bound up in this particular area, we want to pray for you. So what we're going to ask for you to do is to come forward. You can either kneel or stand, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, and we'll have some ministry teams praying for you. We're get, we have some oil, and we're going to make a cross on your hand. We said before that oil is not magic. It's just a symbol of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Um, and so we're, we're going to pray very simply. You don't even have to tell us what you're up here for. What the people praying for you, all they're going to pray is for the kingdom of God to come into your life, for you to experience the will of God in your life as it is done in heaven. So some of you will want to stay at your seats and pray for those that you love that don't know the Lord, and there will be some of you that will want to come forward and receive prayer. Both of those are great responses to what we're sharing today. So I'm going to say a brief prayer, and then you guys respond. Bo, you and Michelle can come on back, and they'll dismiss us in a couple of minutes. Let's do this just as we start, just as a kind of a posture of humility. God responds to humility, gives grace to the humble, opposes the proud. Let's just do this in your own heart, just very simply. Jesus, I acknowledge that you're the light of the world. I acknowledge that you're smarter than me, and I acknowledge that you're wiser than me. 
I acknowledge that in every area of my life, you're the expert, not me. And so I commit, this is if you're willing, God, I commit by your grace to follow the cloud wherever it goes. I want to keep in step with you. Jesus, we pray that you would demonstrate the reality of the coming kingdom here in these next few minutes. We acknowledge there's no magic formula. There's no special words that we pray that unlock healing or deliverance. We're just coming as children to a father. Asking you, God, to do the work that you delight to do in our bodies and in our hearts and in our minds. We acknowledge, Jesus, that you're, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. And we want to forcefully take hold of that rule and that reign this morning. So would you move in this place among these people? I pray our testimony would be Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. Those of us who've been living in darkness, who've been oppressed, who've been bound up by sickness or depression, we will be able to say this Christmas, a light has come, a light has dawned, and we've been set free. And God, we do want to pray for all of those that we love that have yet to acknowledge that you are their Messiah. Would you open the eyes of their heart? Would you open the eyes of their heart? In Jesus' name. Amen. You guys respond as you feel led, and Bo will dismiss us in a couple of minutes. All right, we're so thankful that you could join us this morning. Uh, we have Steve Egan with us, and both of us that were just uh, simply just asking the Lord, Lord, what, what would you want to say to those watching online? How would you want to encourage uh, and further develop and equip those that are watching online, um, all your friends? Um, and, and I feel like there's something, whole, <laughs> just bear with us, I feel like there's something a little, it was pertained to what David said, but it was a little... Um, little different and it felt like it was what the Lord wanted to communicate. When we were in Cambodia, we had another missionary uh, family that uh, essentially he sat down with you quite early on and he said, Matt, I want you to, I want you to have a clear picture of what we're trying to do in people's lives. He said, if you look at it, a, a number line between positive 10 to negative 10 and zero at the middle, um, we see that zero is where people come to faith trusting in Jesus. And 10 is when we fully know him as we will uh, fully be like him in heaven. But um, our job really is to help move people forward wherever they are on the continuum from negative 10 to positive 10. If they happen to be a negative nine, our job is to move them closer to knowing who Jesus is, preparing the way, building that foundation uh, for the gospel message. And he just encouraged me, he said, be faithful to move people forward, whether they're at negative four to negative three, or if they already know him and continue to further disciple and develop them, be faithful with where they are. And I was just thinking about that um, in light of the blind man. Uh, in his progression to faith and then into worship. And if we saw the, continue, the story continue to fold out, we would see him continuing to proclaim Jesus' name, continuing to be discipled and growing into the image of Christ uh, as we all are. Um, and so that is my word for you guys today. Be faithful to move others closer to Jesus, closer down uh, the continuum. Um, 
because where he has you in their lives is really significant. Steve, do you have something you want to share yeah. with us? Yeah. I was really intrigued by the link between eyes and heart. And uh, if you think biologically, if you see something, it comes into your brain and then other parts of your body react. And thinking in a, in a spiritual way, the brain can be a, an obstacle to the heart responding. And I'm living proof of that. It took me 45 years to find a way to disengage my brain, my thinking about, oh, I don't understand that. Or, that doesn't make sense. I got to figure this out. I got to study more. But I think it's, it's a, a work of Satan to get your brain engaged, to doubt, to disbelieve, to not understand. And it intrudes on that sight to heart uh, process that is so important. And so anybody that's going through what I went through with the brain is interfering with your heart response, I just encourage you to pray to set aside your brain and let your eyes impact your heart directly. Absolutely, yeah, that we may be able to fully see yeah. Jesus. That's good. Thank you, Steve, yeah. for sharing. Just a quick reminder, um, next Sunday night at 8 p.m., we will have an opportunity through Zoom to be able just to meet you if you've been visiting the last couple of weeks. We just want to get to know you. Uh, and so in the Facebook and YouTube comment section, you'll see a link to that Zoom call. Um, we'll look forward to meeting you. That'll be next Sunday at 8 p.m. Um, let's go ahead and go back into worship. I feel like we're at a really pivotal time.